Doug. Hello, Karen. And, you know, Merry Christmas. Merry fucking Christmas. Okay, did you get thrown for a loop? I got thrown for a loop. It is Christmas in July, folks. Um, we are on uh, season six, episode 13, A Tree Talks in Melrose, and it is Christmas time. It is. This was their Christmas episode in season six, which now, makes sense because we had that Thanksgiving-themed episode like two weeks earlier when uh, Billy and Sam had that bad wedding. So, okay, so here's my question. To my remembrance, this is the most Christmassy Christmas episode Melrose Place has ever done. I think the one uh, in season four where they have the big Christmas uh, event and Jane and Michael start hooking up and she has the stroke because Sid laced her stuff. I think that was maybe the most Christmassy. There is also, maybe season two, isn't there a an episode where Jake and Joe and Billy and Allison like go Christmas tree shopping together. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe there was, but this felt like, like it felt like there was Christmas associations in this was, uh, this was like like a more cynical, bah humbuggy Christmas episode. Oh, you know what? There's also the one that they do a riff on a Christmas Carol in season three, which is when Amanda is like human for a day and visits Allison when she's like just entered the rehab center. Yeah, I don't know. None of none of these are standing out to me as overly Christmassy. I mean, I got the sense that they were trying to do something more like dedicated Christmas theme wise with this. So, yes. so yeah, it's more overt. I was trying to remember if they had even acknowledged Christmas time last season and i don't think so i think they just had all their eggs and the guess who taylor really is to peter basket and let's break him and amanda up i feel like that's where the focus was and it had nothing like they didn't they didn't do holidays do any context of where we might be in the 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 scope of the year yeah because there there were like christmas trees we open with a christmas song like it was all it was all happy motherfucking holidays on this episode. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of Christmas. Yeah, there's a lot of Christmas going on. So we have a very special guest star on this episode of Melrose Place. None so can I just say, yes. this is like the best cold open I've ever seen. Are you being like best cold open haha, or best cold open like you mean it? Like somewhere in between. Because okay. I applaud <laughs> the camp factor so goddamn much. <laughs> But yes, it's the holidays and Kyle comes in to the restaurant and they start playing this Christmassy sounding song in the restaurant. And it just sounds to me like, oh, it just sounds like they're playing music, you know, like uh, on the, the stereo system. And and then Taylor says something about listening to John Cicada. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds like John Cicada. They're playing a song by John Cicada in the restaurant. And then they pin over and know John Cicada is actually <laughs> there at Kyle's singing Christmas carols. Oh, God, John Cicada. Um, he of the Miami, former of Miami Sound Machine and also then embarked on a solo career. And the one hit that I remember is Just Another Day. That was the first one. It was Just Another Day. Did he have any more? He had singles. I mean, I don't know if they were big hits, but I, I kind of liked them. Um, he did Angel, which was a ballad in which I, in the video takes place. There's thing, like right? a gangland shooting in the hood. Uh, he did Do You Believe in Us? I'm Free. Um... If you go, they all sound kind of similar, but it was a sound that I kind of liked. Um, and then, like, the last notable thing I remember is on the Pocahontas movie soundtrack, he did one of the the bigger songs as a single. He may have sung well, it on the, the, the closing credits of the film. I mean, he is clearly still very popular, according to Spotify. He has 2.8 He's million done Broadway. listeners. He has? I had no idea. He was in Greece and Cabaret, I think. Oh, all right. I mean, he's got three Grammys, 20 million albums sold. And I want to say he still writes music maybe for other people, too. Or produces other artists. Oh, that's completely possible, yeah. 
Um, he, uh, he, he went to the University of Miami where he became an accomplished jazz musician. So I guess jazz was his first. So I guess there is that time, but you don't really know that from seeing him here with Kyle. And they talk about how, like, there's a connection. They know Kyle, Kyle and Taylor know him from Boston, which also doesn't really make sense. Cause it's like, well, John Sakata is not from, nor does he live or work in Boston. And you having a restaurant there doesn't really, you know, like bring Grammy winning artists in. So I don't really understand, but somehow like, he's like, I'm visiting LA and, and uh, I, you know, like I decide to look you up or something. I don't remember what it is, but right before he comes to say hi to them, we realize they know him personally. Right. He's singing the song and we have like, he like Kyle has these gauzy flashbacks of him and Amanda during yeah. better times, which is <laughs> which I not love. typical of this show. <laughs> no. And I really, really thought that they were going to give us something and we got nothing. I really, yeah. I was like, this is going to be the, the episode that things turn around for Kyle and Amanda. And it's no. definitely not that, not that, no. not that. So apparently um, the restaurant and the jazz club are yet once again in trouble, which tell me how that happened. They got the building out from under Scrooge McDuck there. What yeah. The yeah. Eric, Eric. Eric. And, and it doesn't now, seem like it has anything to do with Taylor having to buy out Amanda's shares or yeah. having to pay a lawyer. It's just like, even though it seems like they're always customers, somehow there's still like 25 grand in the hole or something like that. Right. So basically they're behind on their rent and they need to pay it or they're going to lose their lease. And I'm like, haven't we been through this before? Like just a couple weeks ago and you got your lease back, but what, you haven't been paying your rent? Yeah. So remember you said that because I feel like I kept thinking that this episode, haven't we been here before with multiple storylines? Yeah. So haven't we been here before? So basically, John Sakata is going to play a Christmas Eve um, event or concert or gig. I think they call you. it a Christmas Eve concert, but it's like, you know. But it's like a, a jazz club, so it's kind of a gig, yeah. you know. And, and this is going to, um, you know, Kyle's not so convinced that it's going to sell out. but um, I, Yeah, I wouldn't be either. Um, but yeah, Taylor has this idea that like, Ooh, if we advertise a semi big name, we'll make a lot of money. Like, like she's just invented uranium. Like she's the smartest person in the room for, for thinking of this idea. And it's like, all right, well, it's worth a try and it could work, but you know, you're not striking oil here, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, and you know, and the thing is, okay, how much did they pay for John Sakata? Cause John Sakata, and they used him to great effect, like in the opening scenes, but then they just kind of... The concert itself is kind of a red herring. Yeah, it's kind of a non-event. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got, like, I totally... Because, okay, this was around the time when the Spelling Universe really started leaning into having musicians on their shows, yeah. right? Yeah, that was happening a lot on, like, 90210, for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, because 90210 kind of, at this point, turned into... The Peach Pit turned into, I don't know, a rave club. And they would always I don't have know if I'd call it raves, but yeah, they had a lot of musical guests. <laughs> yeah, they, and, you they know, had... <laughs> outside of the spelling universe, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was doing something very similar. Um, they had a lot of musical guests at their, you know, like teen club right, that the, right. the kids were going to. Uh, but yeah, you would think that this episode is building towards uh, like a lot of time spent at Kyle's for this John Sakata concert and also. Like, this would be, like, where something climactic would happen. Right. Maybe some storylines would cross or some big fight would erupt or something. Uh, It's not that. No. No. So, by the time we come into Christmas Eve and John Sakata is there and it does look like it's sold out and it looks very busy, but we don't even get, like, the camera doesn't even pan to him for a song. It just feels wasted. Yeah, it is. Which may have been his mandate. I don't know. Yeah. But um, at any rate, I do like John Sakata, and I was very happy to see him on this show. He but only, but only really voice. the front. He does have a great voice. Um, yeah, you know, I was like, like "Give guy. me another song." Exactly. I was actually really hoping for "Just Another Day." Oh my God! When I was a kid, I love that song. It was a good song. It was just another day. 
Okay. We'll get in trouble. That's all I can say. Oh, don't sing anymore. Yeah, I don't want. We don't want us to file a lawsuit. (laughs) But the other surprising thing about this episode is how little Amanda time there is. I almost feel like we should just keep going through this storyline till it's done, and then move on to our other stuff, which ends up taking up more time yeah, and, and was, attention. This was pretty short, all things considered. Yeah. It's, Especially yes. since it was the storyline that had the special guest star that they squandered, really. True. Okay. Yeah. Now, I have a theory. I don't know if you noticed. It looked like some people's hair cuts were different again, um, starting I with tiles. I did not notice. I actually so, did not notice. So I think that this may have been the first episode they filmed after a hiatus meaning um after heather lockley or had her daughter okay which might also account for the fact of like having not much heather lockley in the episode well and also okay so there was a scene when have when heather lockley was leaving um the office because she and kyle Mm -hmm. go into the office and we'll get into that when she was leaving the office that we kind of got a full body shot of her for the first time, first in a long time. We're not a full body, but it sort of went below the hips. And I remember mm-hmm. looking at it and going, "Did they use a body double?" Because you could actually, for the first time, see you saw the like a fuller figure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it did, and she did not look pregnant. And I was like, "Okay, there's no, I don't know how they magic that because no, like she would have had a stomach." And so then now this makes sense that we would have seen her not having. The, the pregnant belly right now it's point. a guess i don't know if i'm right and i don't know time wise like well how many weeks was this then post baby um but she had the daughter in october of 97 and i'm assuming a lot of the first episodes of the season were filmed like may june or june july of right. 97 and as opposed to like july august september um and then i'm thinking well maybe this was filmed november it was part of like a bunch of episodes that were held and then filmed like november december january or something and those that'll be the next batch that we continue to see which were originally aired from like winter to spring for the show right well i mean definitely possible because i like i said when or or they used a body double for her for that one scene could be but why would you bother yeah yeah Yeah. like i think sam has longer hair i think craig's hair is slightly noticeably different um so I was, I was just curious and, you know, no real way to figure it out and not really worth figuring it out. Yeah, I didn't but, even notice. Um, so before we get to the, the John Sakata concert here in the storyline, there's another scene that takes place at Kyle's and it's mostly about Jennifer being over Craig because Craig is opposing Michael with this whole hearing about the cauterizing love and Jennifer is blindly loyal to Michael emphasis on blindly um she <laughs> continues to stand up for kyle and so, uh, for michael and so kyle like goes to check in on her um and then it turns out that i guess two years earlier kyle also dumped her on christmas eve yeah you know, after their affair which started as like it was just a like one night fling and turned out to be like a six month long clandestine affair um but i guess he dumped her on christmas eve and it's like okay that's cool we we know you guys have this connection and this history so and bought no taylor to a dwell. tennis bracelet he dumped yeah, her on christmas eve yeah, and then bought yeah. taylor a tennis bracelet but i do like these sort of r- little reminders that kyle was a snake well i think they're important because he's being a real d-bag yeah because he's so like he's so high and mighty about all this shit yeah yeah and he's really sort of like on the fainting couch over this whole thing yeah you know i mean it's very and it's ridiculous because it's like you cheated on your wife yeah repeatedly yeah like you like i said you have slept with half of the women at melrose most of the time you were married to someone else at that time yeah yeah so stop just stop so you'll say that again in a minute because Amanda does show up at the concert and Taylor like <laughs> immediately tries to kick her out, you know, because she didn't pay to come, blah, blah, blah. Um, and Amanda asked to talk to Kyle privately. And, you know, he seems open to it. And you, you think, well, maybe we're making inroads here. And 
she's like, I, I, let me be honest with you. I think about you all the time. I miss you. I need you. And then he makes her like rehash the stuff with Eric and she insists. And this is why I do believe that she did not actually have sex with Eric. Um, she's like, it never happened. He's like, well, but you went there to do it. And he's like, and if the only reason you didn't have sex with him is because you found him sleazy, it doesn't matter. You still went there. And it's like, well, yeah, but the main reason she did it was to save your career and what you had going on. Like she was willing to surrender everything she had, including her dignity for you. And you're still disgusted by her. So you're a macho shithead. Um, And she does what I would have done. And she's like, okay, then this is goodbye for good. Yeah, yeah. And I I kind of like cheered her at that point because yeah. I you know, I I'm like okay, I think we're going to get our Amanda back. Yeah. I I want to say they do something shitty again in episodes that are coming up. Oh, but, come for right on. Now, but for right now we got her back. <laughs> and you know, it's so rare on any TV show let alone a soap like this that the that my response when I watch a scene is like, well, I would do this or I would say this. And then that's what the character in the scene does. But that's what Amanda does here. Cause I'd be like, I'm done. Then we're done. I cannot reason with you and you are not being good to me. So fuck it. Goodbye. Right. Um, and, and she leaves Taylor comes in with the drink and, um, the event was somehow very successful. They made the 25 grand they needed for this balloon payment on their mortgage. And Kyle's like, I'm not in a mood. I want to drink alone. Apparently he drank a lot alone because Taylor walks in later and he has passed out. So she sees the money that's just sitting there on his desk in his office. And she goes to put it in the safe. And then she has an idea. And she some she says something like, I'm doing this for you, Kyle, or something. And she leaves yeah. with the money. Yeah. So Kyle has, like, spent the night passed out on the desk of his office. Um, he wake- She wakes him up. She comes in the next morning. And he's, like, just getting up. Um, and she's like, oh, I'll take the money, knowing that there is no money to be found, because she has done something with it. And he's like, oh, shit. I don't know what happened. I passed out, and now the money is gone. And she's like, well, we were always great at playing craps, so let's go to Vegas. Yeah, so apparently the way they got their Boston bar set up, they got the seed money, was they went to Atlantic City and won at craps. Amazing. Amazing. So they're going to go to Vegas and see if, you know, lightning strikes twice. Yeah. Um, And that's basically, I mean, like, it's a little stupid because if you're Kyle and you're like well stupid me I got drunk I passed out I left the door to my office in my restaurant unlocked and someone came in and stole all the money like wouldn't you be a little bit concerned that like someone knew to come in and steal the money that someone intruded in your restaurant like would you maybe have a video camera that had footage of this felony I don't know yeah yeah wouldn't you call the police yeah because that means someone stole twenty five thousand dollars from within a foot of you while you were passed out in your place yeah wouldn't you be a little bit more creeped out i don't know anyway whatever it's it's stupid it's not like i misplaced a winning lottery ticket and i can't find it oh shit that's on me this is like in your mind you're thinking someone broke in and committed a crime Right. (laughs) But, all right, let's just go to Vegas. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) God. Um, So, I guess we can do the Megan, Coop, Michael, Lexi, Peter stuff. Yeah, let's just, oh my God, that's so painful. But Like, it goes, there's a lot that goes back and forth. Do you want to do Billy and Sam first? Yeah, because that's another quickie. Like, yeah. sort of, like I mean, I kind of feel like we can kind of like, you know, Sam is suddenly a workaholic. And like a genius. And a genius at that. And Amanda loves her. So I guess she's replaced. Yeah, Amanda Allison. loves her. Amanda, who has never treated any employee of hers properly, thinks the world of Sam, who has Wait. no training and background for what she's doing. Right. And apparently doesn't care about painting anymore. 
No, um, which might be for the best. Which might not be the worst thing in the world. And no so, more Sam Kirovs to fill yeah. the, the populate the planet. <laughs> I wonder if that's still hanging in the bar. We haven't seen. We it should in look. A while. I, know, I know. I know. We should really look for that if uh, they ever show that side of the set again. Um, so now Billy is starting to get annoyed because uh, Sam keeps working late and he can't. And, and she can't be his wife. Yeah, she's, yeah, overwhelmed with this Seattle client. Yes. And uh, and she wants to do a good job. And so she basically tells Billy to go Christmas tree shopping with Connie. With Connie, yeah. So they do. And then Connie sweeps right in and uh, kisses Billy on the lips. Um, she's like, what? We're under the mistletoe. And all he has is like this utter look of contempt for her, which is basically the look I have for this storyline. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 And, and like Connie just keeps getting these dumbass jabs in or trying to. Yeah. And then I guess the next night after, uh, Sam had promised that she would be home the next night to decorate the tree. If you picked it up with Connie, she is still not there working late. So he had he's stuck decorating the tree with Connie where she's talking smack. Yeah, and he's he's like, I'm on to you. I know you're trying to cause trouble, so I want you out after New Year's, which I think is quite reasonable, actually. Yes, I um, actually do too. Yeah. And then there's this scene that I actually liked a lot. Um, which is Sam and Amanda are talking and like Amanda's again being a human being with her, you know, and they're sort of talking to like their fake characters pasts about like, uh, like Christmas wasn't ever a huge thing for either of them, you know, cause they decided midstream that Sam had like this really like, like poor background. Charm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that like. Amanda, I don't even know if they want us to think her parents were together now or whether she was growing up in L.A. or Miami or what. But, like, Christmas was never a big thing there, blah, blah, blah. Um, and just when she's like, Sam, instead of staying late with me, you should go home, Billy shows up to take Sam to dinner. And in a really nice moment, I thought, they invite Amanda, who, of course, declines. And I'm like, well, we don't get many moments of characters just acting like that. Uh, usually it's storyline motivated. Like, we invite you to come to dinner with us because at the restaurant you will see your husband having an affair with another woman. Or you'll bump into a client and that will you know start a new storyline like it's usually more pur purposeful than uh us characters are just being nice to each other for a change mm -hmm. uh, which i liked um I too. and i, I would have actually liked to have seen a scene of them just sitting and enjoying each other's company at a meal but we don't get that because amanda says no Right. And again, it goes back to that pacing thing. I don't know if we, I, I think I've talked about it before. I don't know if it's this podcast or my other podcast about my first book that I wrote and my editor coming back to me and being like, you need to put, like, I had it, like, I, it was like, talk about high octane. It was like action sequence after action sequence. And she's like, just put life in, like, send yeah. her to the grocery store, have her do like normal things. And, um, because we, we like the, the reader needs that the reader needs the break the reader also wants to have that sort of camaraderie with the characters to sort of like get to know them and I was like Ooh. and and that like and I think that that's missing in a lot of Melrose because there are always yeah. these like and a lot of other machinations too, going yeah. on you yeah know, they're always like building to the next development the next twist the next con whatever right yeah. instead of letting the instead of helping us like build the characters a little bit yeah and that's been a problem from the beginning with kyle and amanda yeah but this is also an example of haven't we been here before because like with eric coming in right as kyle and amanda came together as a couple it's like they never had a chance to just be they never had a chance mm -hmm. to just make memories together as a couple which is why kyle has those flashbacks to the season before um but it's like, okay, so Billy yeah. and Sam are stupid and they've been stupid together. But right as they get married is when they introduce Connie, another character brought in just to introduce chaos with like no sense of true like context or humanity. Um, it's the same exact thing. Like let Billy and Sam just like be stupid together for a few episodes and see them around yeah. the courtyard and see them around uh, Amanda Woodward advertising. And then if you feel like, well, the dial has come around. It's time for them to have a new obstacle. 
then bring her in. But like right. they never they never had time to breathe. And I don't really care because they're more abundant to begin with. But but in general, the thinking of well, we got to bring a new antagonist in. It's like you don't just just let them be. I always say to your point about like you have to put life in. Yes, like it doesn't matter what your genre is. It doesn't matter what your medium is. The work can be good, but it has to be rich. Like don't just throw whatever the ingredients are that you think you need to make something exciting or suspenseful or scary or romantic, like make it good, make it deep, make it rich, right. like throw right. those seemingly small potatoes things in. Cause those are ultimately the things that will stick with you. I right. think Grey's Anatomy is probably a good example of doing that. Like their storylines go all over the place and really go from A to Z, but there are also peppered with good character moments, which is probably also a, a secret as to why, uh, or not a secret, but a reason as to why, you know, like they keep being able to introduce new characters and have them stick. I've never seen Grey's Anatomy, but she. Well, I haven't watched me, it in like 10 years, but yeah. She told me to watch Alias and I did. And I oh, was well, like, that was a great, that yeah. was a great idea. Yeah, it actually was super, super helpful. I maintain that that is one of the last great TV shows and, you know, one of the last great genre shows at that. I would agree with that. I should rewatch it because I actually really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it I would I would me. be open to a rewatch of that. It's, those, Especially, like, those first two seasons are yeah. fantastic. And I think of not just influenced TV that has come along, but movies that have come along in the last yeah. two decades. And I think, you know, it was it's funny because it was also the one that turned me on to Jennifer Gardner. I never liked her. Yeah, that was the show that did it for me. And then and then I saw her in that and I was like, oh, I do like you. That I show mean, is was, one of the yeah. better female protagonists uh, I think we've ever seen. So, so, so rich there. and nuanced. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. she she just met it head on. Maybe when we get done with the block, we should head over to the cia i don't know where they uh, <laughs> remember where they were <laughs> Credit dauphine that was the name the fake name of where she was i would i would welcome that so listeners here's a chance like an important chance to participate uh once we do hit the end of the block uh where should we situate ourselves if you guys think alias is a good call we would love to hear that support because that will guide all of our lives into the future because I know at one point we talked about Charmed, but I'm not feeling that anymore. You're not. I don't well, know. Well, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm leaning into this alias thing. I am too. And I feel like it's one of those shows that's like an like an unsung hero. Like, I don't think it got enough love. I definitely think it's been unjustly forgotten as time yes. has gone by. Yeah. And I think it's time to remember it. Let's let's aim to remember. But guys, you're welcome to 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 pipe up. Pipe up. Because and Melrose is going to end sometime, I swear. It will. It, it does. <laughs> it did. You can tell because it's not on now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So where are we? So Let's um, finish Billy and Sam. Let's so, Billy so, and Sam yeah. oh, so Billy and Sam are making out at the apartment. And he tells her uh, that he kicked Connie out. Or he, like, that he gave her her like, walking papers for just a couple of weeks after the holiday. And Sam gets really self-righteous and mad and storms away. And then Billy, Billy gets, gets mad and, and mad walk, storms away. <laughs> yeah, storms out of the apartment. Um, and then I'm like, well, where are you going to go, Billy? And then he like comes right back into the apartment just as she comes out of her bedroom. And, and they, they make up. And it's actually a cute moment. This is I one of those like, like put life in. Did, yeah. I, like, it added dimension. It wasn't just everything was purposeful this was like no let's just let let them breathe as a couple for a scene and it was really nice and even they couldn't fuck it up yeah (laughs) but the next morning so the next morning Uh... billy opens the bedroom door and sees that connie has left the storyboards she was working on with like a big red bow for the two of them and Bill, so Sam like goes to make coffee and Billy says I should go and thank her and the door to Connie's room is slightly ajar I like can't even bring myself to finish this sense it's so awful um, so he like he's like Connie are you uh, are you there are you awake he opens the door and there she is nude in bed with uh, her sheet like down Covers to her waist down, yeah. so, so he's looking at her supposedly asleep seeing her naked and he like leaves the room 
And then she rolls over and opens her eyes with this big mischievous grin, like she's just done something. Um, so whatever chaos she's here to create is the stupidest chaos. I just don't understand the purpose. No, like we, we see her at work. We see her doing something devious. We're aware, but we really don't know the why. Like mm-hmm. we've said before, like, are you there to hurt Sam or do you want Sam? Are you there to get rid of, get Billy out of the picture or do you want to be in the picture with Billy? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. And we're not getting. And I don't care. And we're not getting, we're not even getting drips, right? Like, like there was a little bit of stuff about um, Connie sort of saying, uh, like kind of talking a little bit of like, oh, when she got tired of her old boyfriends, you know, Mm -hmm. she kept getting caught up in her work, you know, it was like, like little shit, like, like little digs like that. But we're not getting like a full story of like no, and my also boyfriend or like every, you know what I mean? yeah, like, yeah. Every time that Connie talks about how she knows Sam so well from their past together, it always seems to contradict what Sam's past has been yes. from Maryland. Which like, did you ever have a job that you could get so caught up in? Because you, no shade, and not to sound elitist or anything, but I don't think you've had career jobs. I think you've had you know, gig work. I think you've had nine to five, you know, like shift type jobs that you came and went and really the work was someone else's problem, which is fine. But I don't see how you've been in any position to get so distracted right. by work that it's taken over you. never work. had a career right. job. So, like, what? Right. Yeah. And I know, like, uh, you're really poking holes now, Doug, but just, just, just saying. Yeah. All right. I mean, let's go back to the most painful storyline. I don't know. I, and, I found yeah, this and like, the most in like painful multiple ways. No, it, it, um, it, it, yeah. I just am so. This, uh, these threads oh. have been pulled in so many different directions. The whole thing needs to come apart. I'm really, really. Wait, yeah. Whatever they think they were doing here is really really diminishing returns yeah so uh i guess we begin again with peter and lexi you know who's like appreciative of peter and she's like but i don't want you you know like looking at me weird or looking down on me or like you have to save me and he's like not to worry i'm sticking by you and he's gotten tickets for them to go sailing in cabo at christmas time um so now that Lexi, Peter got Lexi newly rehired with the the Michael Mancini glove business, whatever it's called, she's going to be decorating. Jennifer comes over to discuss fabrics. And then Coop comes by to argue again uh, with, with Megan. Um, and Jennifer overhears and has like this, I guess, look of plotting on, mm-hmm. on her face. Like wheels are in motion. Um, and there's also a scene of Megan returning to work. She asks Coop, who is her doctor, if she can return to work. And he's like, yeah, you can. Um, and she can't yet bring herself to sign the divorce papers she wants to serve Michael with. Um, and she's like sort of telling Coop a little bit about how, you know, like she doesn't want to hurt Michael. She doesn't want to. She's like, you don't know everything, but Michael helped me out a lot because she doesn't want Coop to know she has a history as a prostitute, which at this point, I just figured everyone right. in the show knows. Um, I know, right? I just assumed he knew, but I with, guess with, Again, with no judgment, because they all do these horrible things. Um, and, you know, prostitution, not horrible, but that some might judge. Um, and uh, the delivery guy has this, like, mini Christmas tree that uh, Michael has sent. Um with <laughs> when you press a button, Michael sings. What yeah, and it's Michael it. singing. And the other yeah. thing to mention about this episode is that Thomas Calabro directed it. Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. Um, and I feel like though he didn't write it, some of the way the humor lands, like I feel like you can like see Calabro's fingerprints all over the episode. It just seems like it's his sensibility as an actor, and from you know, like just from the way he plays Michael. Um. So there's that, and there's more gifts to come. Meanwhile, (laughs) Jennifer is out with Lexi, like on the town. 
Um, and by the way, like Lexi towers over, uh, uh, Jamie Lunar towers over Alyssa Milano. It looks, I mean, I know Alyssa Milano is short, but it looks like there's like an 18 inch height difference between the two of them. Um, and this is when Jennifer lays all the cards out on the table. She knows, tells Lexi she knows about the accident. Um, and she tells Lexi, let Coop off the hook, and then he'll ease off of Craig and Michael. Um, right, because she set this up secretly with Coop before. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I skipped it. I thought that came after. No, she sets it up first. Okay, Coop. And this was actually my favorite scene because this was a Sydney play. It's totally Sydney. This is another haven't we been here before thing. Yeah. Like but, to a T. Yeah, yeah. But I thought that Alyssa Milano handled it really, really well. And I, and I really actually, it was a bit of a relief because I felt like, I don't know. I just liked it. I just really liked it. Cause it gave me, a, it gave me like that little dose of Sid that we've been missing. Yeah. And her hands are in enough cookie jars now that it works, you know, yeah. like she's connected and has a history with enough of these players that it sort of works much like, you know, Sid found herself working at the the medical practice and you know she'd been with this person she'd marry this person she lived near this person like it made it made enough sense right right and so she's like literally got like talk about cloak and dagger like she's literally got like a scarf over her head yeah and sort of like you know yeah and makes this big show of like she's reading a magazine she hands coop a newspaper and she's like pretend to read the newspaper yeah. it was really kind of fun yeah it is fun and the most fun thing about that ep- that scene is at the end when coop actually mocks her mm-hmm. and he's like we should we can't leave at the same time we will if we go leave at the same time people will notice and she goes you're right and she pauses and she goes you're mocking me aren't you and he yeah. goes yeah which is another <laughs> fun moment yeah it was really great <laughs> It was sort of like, you know, jumping back to like, I don't know, season two, season three, you know, like it just sort of felt like we were going back. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't take much, but these are the moments that that matter that make a difference. Like it was a little campy and a little fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, that was great. And we didn't get any more of that. That's right. Um, Okay. So Lexi is really taking this hard. And Peter wakes up alone uh, in bed. It's in, uh, uh, the middle of the night. He looks at the clock and it's like one fifty-nine. I think we see it turn to 2 p.m. Um, and he's walking around the house looking for Lexi and he sees his medical bag on the floor. Uh, and then Lexi is passed out on the kitchen floor with an empty bottle of sleeping pills next to her. And she has OD'd. You know, I have a question. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, um, not to make light of Lexi's overdose, but I have, I do have a question. Okay, so she to, to, she's no, no longer gonna get, gonna get her alimony from Coop, but she is super wealthy. So I don't understand why she cares. I mean, she was only doing it to punish Coop for Kimberly for cheating on her. Is my interpretation? Yeah, but it just seems like she. It's almost like she cares too much about getting that check. That, like I feel yeah. like I'm like are, are is something gonna come out where where it's like it turns out that she's broke and her family's broke and I don't think really it, no I'm pretty sure no. that doesn't come out no so this is all so they're just hanging this all on like a revenge fantasy for her I think so that seems that's really my understanding kind of weak especially it's weak and really yeah. not worth it no not I worth mean it like at all. money dollars and cents the, so to speak yeah right um. So, so oh, after the overdose in the hospital, this was the other thing that I didn't understand. Which is that? When Coop is by her bedside petting her head. Oh. When she wakes up. And I'm like, he hates her. Why would he even be there petting her fucking head? Where the hell is Peter? Like, what is going on? Like, you, like it's like the next scene. And yeah, she's in the I hospital feel. Yeah, in my head, cool. I was like, okay, Peter's doing something around the hospital, either for Alexi as his patient, or um, like as as a doctor. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, he, she does wake up with Coop in the hospital because there's also this like misunderstanding that doesn't amount to anything because Coop is she says to him like i know 
she says something about like he knows why I did this or you yeah. know why I did this but Coop doesn't really know what's going on cuz I don't think he knows what Jennifer has threatened her with completely I'm trying to remember if he knew like I think he knew that the threat was going to be there right because she was like I thought Jennifer was just like if you give me your agreement, or if sorry, if you give me the sketches, I will make sure that that's I get right. Lexi off your back. Yeah, but I don't think right. he, he knew know. about the leverage. He doesn't know. Yeah, no, he doesn't know about the leverage. You're absolutely okay. right. He just, yeah, he doesn't know about the leverage. So usually when there's like a misunderstanding, like, oh, I think you know as much as I do. I'm about to blurt something more and make it worse. That's what happens. And that's not what happens. What happens here is Peter walks in and doubles down on the, what is with you an unconscious women thing? Which is like, well, everyone has already said this about Coop by now, Peter. So you're not saying anything new. Um, but Coop leaves and uh, Lexi says she's not, she has no need for Coop's alimony anymore. And they basically have another moment where he, they recommit to each other. He said that in the past, his ex-wife, meaning Amanda, was strong. The problem was that she never needed him. And I'm like, well, that wasn't the only problem there, um, Mr. Wandering Eye. But, um, but yeah, he also doesn't talk about his other wife, who was probably strong in the face of cancer, but whatever. Um, and I think that's it. I think that's it for Lexi, right? I believe it is. But yeah, like so the, means... the there's still a domino effect with with Jennifer and, and the other people. But before that, Michael is continuing to try and woo Megan back. So he right. sends two lovebirds to Megan at the office that are in a cage. Um and like and Coop has a funny stupid... moment with the birds. Yeah. With the birds, yeah, 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 yeah. And there's a stupid snow globe. Yeah, yeah. And there's a reference to Citizen Kane. Because Megan's like, I don't know what to say. He's like, well, say anything but Rosebud. And I'm like, I know Thomas Calabro just like riffed that yeah. either in a, a rehearsal <laughs> or in an earlier take. Well, now, and now we've got like this whole thing where like now Coop is actually kind of being deceitful at this point now. Yeah, yeah, he is. Um, so he is at the practice and he takes a call because Megan has left at that point. So since the receptionist is gone, Coop answers the phone himself. Um, and it's Megan's lawyer who's, and they show they're like having their like office, they're like law firm office, <laughs> office Christmas, Christmas party. party and yeah. they're all getting drunk, like while they're like doing their calls. Um, and the lawyer calls and Coop pretends, um, that he has like any authority here and he tells them to serve Michael the papers that Megan was hemming and hawing on sending. Um, and so she then, wanted, yeah, he wanted them sent tonight because she said she wanted to wait till after the holidays. And right. he was like, Oh no, she wants them served tonight, which is like Christmas Eve. Yes. And that's the, and this is right after the snow globe arrives and the snow globe words like are, is engraved with it's so cold without you come home. Right. And so I think that there's an assumption, or at least I had this assumption, that he thought Megan was going to go to the house that night, or she actually Michael was going to go to the house. definitely like, thinks he is yes. winning at yes. this point. I still think it's irrational and, and wishful on his part, but Megan has given no uh, sign that she's pulling away even further, uh, which the divorce papers would suggest. So I right. think Michael, being the arrogant guy that he is, is like, it's just a matter of time, and these gifts are really working, and she's going to come back to me. Meanwhile, Coop brings his agreement and sketches to Jennifer, and Jennifer has continued to be convinced that he is lying and he is the bad guy and Michael is right. And then Coop is able to point out, like, no, these things were notarized. These things are two years old. These were mine. This was my idea. Michael stole it. And only then does Jennifer realize, and finally she does realize, that Michael was lying the whole time. Right. And then Coop also drops in that Lexi attempted Overdosed. suicide yeah. because of her. Yeah. Because of the yeah. gravity of what she yeah. had done. Yes, exactly. Um, so right after so so right after this, Megan comes in, um, and Jennifer like skedaddles. She says she has to go to work. Um, and Megan gets sent uh, uh, like an empty heart Another necklace gift. from Michael, yeah. uh, and she like still feels for him a little. And so Coop leaves. 
Um, and Michael is like really ready for like a party for two on Christmas Eve at his house. He's dressed he's, up as Santa. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the tree is all lit. Yeah, he's got a yeah. Fire Candles going. everywhere too, yeah. I think. Um, and then he gets served divorce papers. Uh, and so he loses it. I mean, he throws everything into the fire. He like ransacks his own home. Like he really, really loses it. Yeah, I actually thought it was terrible. The scene. The scene. I yeah. thought the scene was terrible. It was tacky. Yeah, it was yeah. very tacky. Yeah. And all I kept thinking as he's throwing like the Santa suit and everything into like the fireplace was either it's going to. Catch I thought we, the house Alyssa on fire. asked the same thing. She's like, "Is the house going to catch on fire?" And then, and then, and then I started, and then when I realized they weren't going to show like the house catching on fire, it was like, oh my God, the toxic emissions coming out of that fabric is probably like going to kill people. Suddenly LA wakes up dead on Christmas morning. Yeah. (laughs) The entirety. They all thought Kimberly was public enemy number one, but no, (laughs) finally the truth is revealed and it is Michael. It is Michael and a Santa suit. As we've all known. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Um, And then. It's the next morning, right? That Jennifer comes. No, it's that night. I think it was the next morning. Is it? So so when Jennifer. So, okay. It's the next morning. Jennifer said she has to go to work. She really was going to work. Okay. Uh, Jennifer comes over the next morning, furious at Michael and yells at him for all the lying. She says that he is beyond saving and walks off. You know what? I think you got confused about Jennifer because the timelines are, are a little bit off, I think. Because in terms of like the way that they've structured the episodes because wasn't the thing at the with her having that confrontation with um uh with Kyle at the club on Christmas Eve and sort of saying to him well that's when you left your you know that's when you broke up with me and gave Taylor the diamond bracelet like wasn't that like way at the beginning of the episode it was much earlier I thought so it's it's actually the same night this is like when she's when she leaves that apartment after getting those, the, um, the car. Oh, okay. Okay. So in in episode order, we haven't seen that yet. Yeah. So we actually, we, that was something that we already saw. Like we we already already talked about work and now we're sort of like in a different, so there's actually this kind of, I feel like they've done this a few times, but now it's really, this really stood out in like, in terms of like, the way that the episodes have been kind of structured, they're not taking us through a linear day or as linear as possible, which I kind of feel like in daytime soaps, they do. Where they, where it's not linear? Or where, no, they are linear. Like this oh, one is I not think it linear. Def- yeah, yeah, I think it definitely is. I think it is in most shows. I and, think it's and- just the timeline here is crazy. And Melrose, and Mel, this is not the first time that they've done it, no. but it's the one where I've definitely, where I've been able to pinpoint that they've done it because it was like Christmas, it was a Christmas Eve thing. Um, you know, because sometimes it's, it's a little nebulous, the timeline, you don't really know when things are happening completely. And, but this one, because it was like a total pinpoint of a day of Christmas Eve, um, I, then you're able to sort of look at it and go, oh, wait, they, they've really skewed this timeline in terms of okay. like, the way these scenes are structured. I'm, I'm not going to go back and watch the episode. I still feel like that scene where Jennifer talks to Kyle about how he broke up with her on Christmas Eve is a day or so before the John Sakata concert, no, but I could John, be... No, I thought it was the night of the John Sakata conference, uh, concert because, um, because he had like the shit going on with Amanda. I thought when Amanda comes, that's in a later scene, but it's not worth rehashing. I mean, you probably are right. I just, I didn't remember it that way in my head and I didn't, Uh, and I had separated them storyline wise in the notes, but I still think there's some weirdness, right? Because Michael gets the, he gets served the divorce papers on Christmas Eve. It's night. And then Jennifer comes to him in the morning and they fight or she yells at him, mm-hmm. and then he doesn't come to Megan's apartment again till evening, right? Because where mm-hmm. this last scene takes place, it's again nighttime. Right. Is that part of it, right? At least. I think it was. Now I don't remember if it was nighttime, but I think it was. I think it was. Um. So at any rate. Yes. That's where we are. It's nighttime, and Michael storms Megan's, which is also Jennifer's apartment, um, for serving him divorce papers, and he asks for all of his presents back. Um. Like it's funny and it's petty it's not great um and as he's walking down the stairs and that's what's great about 
the characters w- when they live on the second story. Um, you can't just make a quick getaway, so you're like almost guaranteed to bump into another character um, doing something that will affect your storyline. So as Michael is coming down the stairs, he passes Coop, who is coming up the stairs to go to Megan. Um, and so that's when like Michael really loses again. He just starts like fighting with the Christmas tree and tearing it apart. He throws it in the pool just as Amanda arrives. Uh, <laughs> no idea where she was coming from, if it was work or if she actually had Christmas plans or not. Um, but Amanda just comes in and sees him. Um, and she goes, what, like, Merry Christmas, everyone, or to all a yeah. good night, or something like that. And then we end the episode with a, a slow-mo on the Christmas tree falling to the bottom of the pool. And I applaud the use of the pool once again. Yeah, yeah. That was a quality way to end your holiday-themed episode. Yes, I completely agree. So, oh, that was a tough one to get through. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm not sure what comes immediately after this, uh, if they start moving some of their stories in a new direction post-holiday or not, but we'll find out soon enough. I really but it was hope that they bummer. do, because they're, they're getting tired. They're well, this is my so thing, though. I'm not sure the next storylines are better. Yeah. My memory is that they kind of suck more. Oh, great. So, let's hope I'm wrong. Okay, guys, it just... It just... One more year till Alias. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> so guys, guys, let us know what you think. Less so about the episode or this season. Um, and more about where you want this podcast to go in about a year and change. Um, I'm I'm Team Alias. I'm, okay. I'm, I think it's a great idea. So let us know what you think. So we've got maybe 12 episodes left. We're kind of halfway I think it's a little right? bit more. I think maybe it's like 15. Okay. But we're close to the midpoint. I want to say that this season may have ended earlier than the other ones did. And so we didn't have a full, like, 32-episode season order, but maybe it's 28 or something. Oh, God. I may I be mistaken. So. I hope so. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Not not that we hate what we do, guys. <laughs> These episodes are just less rewarding, say, than others have been. Very much so. And I think that's it. We are at the end of the block. So follow us on over to the um, the boulevard where we just uh, gassed up and are, are waiting for you to join us. All right. We'll see you guys over there. Have a great week, and we will see you again on the block next week. Yeah.